As we think about God's faithfulness to us, let me invite you to open up his word together with me as we turn to the New Testament, to the gospel of Matthew, as we hear of his faithfulness. And as we do, uh, no moms, dads, grandparents at this time, we've got an opportunity for elementary kids if they want to participate uh, in children's worship time. They're welcome to gather out in the foyer at this time and Mr. David and children's ministry uh, leaders will begin that time together. But for all of us who remain here, let me invite you to open up the Bible with me today. Uh, God's word to Matthew chapter 5 as we've been journeying through this portion of the Bible, looking at famous words, famous teachings of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're working through the Sermon on the Mount, and today we uh, are particularly looking at verses 10, 11, and 12 of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, but to set the full context, I want us to read the first 12 verses. And so as you find your, your place there in the Bible, uh, let me invite uh, all who are able, would you join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you bow with me for prayer? No, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we thank you for your spirit who guides us in knowing you through your word. So guide us now. The glory of your name, the good of your church, the growth of your kingdom, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Will you may be seated. As we come to the end of this uh, introductory section to Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, our focus this morning is on verses 10, 11, and 12. It doesn't take a seminary degree to discern that the subject matter of those three verses is persecution. Jesus appears to be saying that believers, disciples, followers of Christ, believers can rejoice when persecuted for following Him. Believers can rejoice when persecuted for following Christ. Now, if that's not odd, I don't know what is. Like Jesus, do you know what you're saying? What a strange, hard saying. Jesus tells his followers, he tells his disciples that when they face opposition for him, they can rejoice 
and be glad. Believers can rejoice when persecuted for following Christ. What is persecution? If we're going to understand what Jesus has to say here, uh, we, we need to know what it is and what it isn't. What is persecution? Well, for our purposes this morning, I want to define persecution this way. Uh, harassment or suffering inflicted upon Christians for following Christ. Persecution is harassment or suffering inflicted upon Christians for following Christ. Now that, I realize, is a fairly narrow definition. Persecution, properly defined, is, is broader than that. It could be motivated by other things. For example, there's racial persecution. There's religious persecution, not just directed at Christians, or there's political persecution. But I'm defining it here the way I think Jesus is using it here in this context. Jesus is talking about persecution against his people because they are his people. Harassment and suffering. These are not good things. Like in and of themselves, these are not things to to celebrate. Uh, Jesus isn't promoting uh, self-flagellation, which has taken place throughout uh, the centuries in some places where there's harm inflicted upon self as a way of identifying with the sufferings of Jesus. That's not what Jesus is promoting here. These are are not good things. They're evidence of living in a sin-stained world, a fallen world, a world full of hatred and animosity and evil that preys upon the vulnerable. So Jesus isn't saying these are good things as if we're to seek them out. No, Jesus is saying that these are normal things in this world for those who identify with him. Church, Jesus normalizes persecution for his people. Jesus normalizes persecution for his people. In other words, harassment and suffering directed at Jesus' people isn't some strange phenomenon, but it's the norm for citizens of Christ's kingdom. That's what Jesus seems to be saying. We might be inclined to say, come come on, Chris. Isn't that a bit broad sweeping? That was then, this is now. Jesus has given a particular message to specific apostles, the twelve, the original disciples. Of course, they could expect to face hardship for identifying with Jesus for close association with him. But that doesn't make it the norm, does it? Well, let's consider what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be persecuted for righteousness is to be persecuted for being like Jesus. For loving and living for Jesus. So once again, Jesus essentially says, the inhabitants of my kingdom are those marked by this. Harassment or suffering for following me. Begins the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And concludes, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus rounds out this list with the final Beatitude clearly echoing the first, suggesting in the words of one scholar, it's one composite whole progressively seen in all true disciples. In other words, these 
are characteristics of Christ followers, those who submit to Jesus as king. Jesus normalizes persecution for his people. And the rest of the New Testament seems to agree. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 4, he'd say, Dear friends, speaking to believers, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And Paul would write to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. He would say, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And in case we've missed the message, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Like what? Hey, what, what are we in the American South? In in the Bible belt of the USA, a nation founded upon many Christian principles to make of this. We're, We're not a Christian nation. I don't think we ever have been, but we've been shaped. We know this. We've been shaped deeply by Christianity. So much so that the demarcation between the church and the culture has often been blurred. In fact, the Christian faith has been so intertwined in our nation's History, that you can claim the name or the label Christian and be fully tolerated and accepted, even commended, so long as you don't really take too seriously to following Christ. Like including submission to Jesus Christ in those areas not quite so valued by the broader culture. Like so, so long as you didn't speak out against slavery So long as you don't oppose abortion, so long as you celebrate the sexual revolution and the list could go on. I wonder if Jesus might say to us here today, don't try so hard to make Christianity cool. Like, Don't try so hard to to make it sort of jive with the culture of your day. Don't fear being different. Like, expect opposition. Take up your cross and follow me. And believe me, if you follow me, at some point you're going to face persecution on account of me because those persecuted for righteousness are my people. Jesus is saying those persecuted for righteousness are Christ's people. His people. Persecuted for righteousness. That's what Jesus says. Not persecuted for foolishness, right? Not, not persecuted for being a jerk. Not persecuted for being loud, obnoxious, or annoying. No, persecuted for, for righteousness, for loving and living for Jesus. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. John would go on to write in 1 John chapter 3, he would say, don't be like Cain. Remember Cain? Way back in the early part of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, son of Adam and Eve, brother to Abel. Remember Cain? Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Listen to what John says. Why did he murder him? Why did Cain murder Abel? 
because his own actions were evil, because he was a sinner and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. You see, the Bible teaches that the world is at odds with Christ's kingdom. And if you belong to Christ's kingdom, you can expect to be hated by the world because the world does not know, serve, or submit to the king of God's kingdom. In case we have doubts about this, Jesus perfectly embodied the virtues and values of God's kingdom, right? As the only one who never sinned, one who always was characterized by patience and compassion and grace and kindness. One who never uh, was characterized by selfishness. One who perfectly loved God and loved his neighbor and yet he was hated by the world. The only man never to sin and yet they crucified him as a criminal on a cross. And his own followers, the apostles, soon would face similar opposition for living for Jesus. Like Luke tells us in the book of Acts, arrested, beaten, and threatened by the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish religious ruling council of the day, Luke says the apostles left the Sanhedrin. Peter and John and the other guys, they they left the Sanhedrin after being arrested, thrown in prison, beaten for their commitment to Christ, and threatened not to speak anymore about this Christ. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Christ. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus was right. He he was right. Believers can rejoice. Case in point, believers can rejoice when persecuted for following Christ. Persecution could be, could be violent. I put a book off the shelf this week, a famous book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and uh, looked into it, written by an Englishman in the 16th century, John Fox, who recounts believers, the way that believers had been persecuted from the early church and over the centuries and up through uh, the Protestant Reformation and beyond, and recounting Historical records and traditions note that every single apostle, save John, who was exiled, was killed for their witness to Jesus Christ. So it could be violent. But in our context, it's much more likely to be verbal, insult, ridicule, or slander for following Jesus. Perhaps exclusion from a well-deserved promotion over an unwillingness to fudge company numbers. Maybe ridicule from friends for a commitment to honor Christ by waiting until marriage. Maybe slander for befriending and loving the outcast or the loner. See, because we have enjoyed so many tremendous freedoms in the U.S., I think we have this idea that those who oppose or persecute believers are the enemy that we're to destroy. That we're to get rid of. We think if only we could get rid of these God-haters, then life would be good. But Jesus' theme here feels quite different. Prodding his people to pursue happiness in him. And faithfulness to him. And letting such strange happiness provide the foundation for our witness to the world. Which, of course, is where he goes in the next section. 
recently noticed over the last few days that my youngest child has taken to a particular app that is on our television called Happy Kids. Never heard of Happy Kids, but it's called Happy Kids. Obviously, marketing uh, to parents and others who are watching kids. Hey, if you let your kids watch this stuff, they're going to be happy, right? Things are going to be good. They're going to be cheerful. And I can't help but think that one of the shows, the show, the primary show that my five-year-old is drawn to on that app right now is about a shark that reminds me of that little baby shark song, except it's a little... Uh, more intense, it basically says, scary shark, scary shark, scary shark, you better watch out, he'll eat you in the dark, right? <laughs> Happy kids. Well, Jesus is talking about a, a different kind of happiness. He's talking about a, a different kind of happiness that, it, that ultimately is found in knowing him and being identified with him. And having faith in Him and knowing that your eternity is secure in Him. You see, Jesus normalizes persecution for His people, meaning those persecuted for righteousness are His people. And He says here, those persecuted for righteousness will receive an eternal reward. Jesus says those persecuted for righteousness will receive an eternal reward. In fact, in verse 11, Jesus pivots. He shifts from stating characteristics of Jesus' people to addressing his disciples directly. He says, blessed are you when you're mistreated because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad when you're harassed slandered and persecuted for following me because you will receive an eternal reward. In other words, though darkness may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Those who submit to Christ will face opposition for a season, but security for eternity. And in that way, the message of Jesus here is very much like Christ's message to the seven churches Revelation chapter 2 and 3, to the one who is victorious, to the one who trusts me to the end, to the one who is characterized and who walks by faith in me, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of my God. True happiness is found in knowing Jesus. And those who know Jesus look forward to eternity with Jesus. But as long as we're here, we cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for hearts to be softened. We pray for sinners to feel conviction and for enemies of God to turn in faith to God. Thus, we ought to be a people who pray for those persecuting Christians. Pray for those persecuting Christians. We, we pray for those opposing Christ by persecuting the people of Christ. We, we pray... For the pharaohs of our day. For the Kim Jong-uns and the Xi Jinping's. Pray for the Vladimir Putin's. For those in positions of power seeking to eradicate genuine Christ followers from among their peoples. We pray for radical Hindu leaders perpetrating violence against Muslims and Christians in South Asia. 
We pray for those leading radical Islamic extremist groups like Al-Qaeda. Pray in the spirit of the Almighty God would interrupt their lives and change their hearts by His saving grace. We pray, let's pray for corrupt CEOs who reward unfaithfulness. And for teachers or instructors, professors who ridicule Christians in the classroom. Let's pray for those persecuting Christians. For Jesus would go on to say in the same sermon, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Paul would say, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Which means we ought to be a people who pray for those persecuting Christians and we pray for persecuted Christians. Let's be a people who pray for persecuted Christians. For those who face harassment and suffering for following the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned in your sermon notes guide today in the family discussion uh, page, uh, a resource, a prayer resource found at persecution.com slash global prayer guide. This is from Voice of the Martyrs, a resource for praying for hostile and restricted countries around the world and what believers face in many of these places. And I'll, I'll, I'll share just a bit about one of those that's been on this list for quite some time. And that's North Korea, a place where there was once many believers, many Christians and many, many churches until an oppressive regime took over several decades ago that forces believers to worship in underground settings and has adopted and promotes a nationwide uh, religion specific to North Koreans known as Juche. A distinctly North Korean religious ideology that requires worship and subservience to the Kim family. So listen to what this resource says about believers there. It says, Christians are sent to prison and labor camps in North Korea where they are starved, overworked, and tortured. The the government's requirement that all North Koreans act as informants applies even to families as children are taught to spy on their parents. From a young age. Therefore, North Korean Christians must be extremely careful in what they say, what they do, and even how they pray. When a Christian is discovered, the government punishes the entire family in order to incentivize reporting. But despite the threat of persecution and heavy social pressure, Christians in North Korea hold firmly to their faith. Christian and secular analysts alike estimate that about 30,000 Christians are currently suffering in prison and labor camps there. Church, what could possibly move people to risk their lives and to endure such pain? The joy of knowing Jesus. Only the joy of which our Savior speaks here. Believing That thou, God, has made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. The joy of knowing that our sins are forgiven. Knowing that our sins have been washed away. 
Hearts that our lives are cleansed and restored into right relationship with God himself. The joy of knowing that we have a heavenly father who has adopted us into his forever family and who is preparing a forever home, a forever and ever and ever home for those who know him. And so Jesus would say difficult things like rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so, church, let's hear Christ's invitation to rejoice and to be glad in Him. To rejoice and to be glad in Him. Not, not to look elsewhere. Right? Not to look anywhere else for what only Christ can give. To rejoice and be glad in Jesus. Let's be a people who rejoice and be glad in, in Jesus. Believers can rejoice when persecuted for following Christ because their happiness isn't found in present circumstances, but in knowing Him. Friend, do you know Him? Do you know a Savior like that? Are you trusting in Him? Is your faith in Him or is it in something less? Have you given your heart to Him? If so... You can rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Oh God, give us a joy in knowing you. God, as we've looked at a text like this this morning, we want to know and believe that you are the giver of joy. Lord, that you are the great And faithful God who has good plans for us, Lord, a good, good plans for your people, plans to, to know you and to rest in you and to experience your love and to know even now that, that we're your children, reconciled to you by your grace through faith in Jesus, your Son, who is our Savior, who is the perfect substitute and provision, the display and the fulfillment of your faithfulness. Oh, God, help us to find ultimate delight in you. Father, forgive us for looking elsewhere for temporary satisfaction that does not last. Lord, help us, lead us, guide us to look and to rest in Jesus Christ. And Father, we do pray for those that are facing much harder persecution. Lord, even now. Father, we pray for these some 30,000 believers in North Korea who are in labor camps even now because of their identification with you. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them today. Oh God, we pray that you would sustain them today. We pray that you would stir them today to know and to love you in a rich way and to continue to be a beacon of light, a gospel witness to, to prison guards to family members, to neighbors, to national leaders, and Lord, to others around the world that you use for the glory of your name. Father, we we don't understand these things, but we trust you. Lead us to trust you and to know that indeed you are a good and gracious God, a loving Father who is worthy of our lives and worthy of our praise. So lead us even now, Lord, lead us even now to praise you.
And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.